Okay. Before we start, I'll just I'll say a short prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us here today, and, and please have us learn something um, about you and your work um, and your grace through studying this movie here today. In your name, amen. Uh, <coughs> all right. Um, well, this is part two of two, but it, if you didn't go to the first one, that's fine. It, I mean, it, it'll be self-contained um, in, in the class, but... We're discussing a movie, the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Has everyone seen it other than Martin? <laughs> uh, anyone who hadn't seen it? There's somebody. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but where, you may be asking where this ca- class came from. Um, and I know that Beth was asking that yesterday when I was preparing instead of getting ready for Christmas and helping with the kids. Um, but, but um, I mentioned last week, but I, I, I saw the movie in college. I watched it um, every year after that. And then I read some articles in 2008 or 2009 that had me look at it in a different way. After those articles, I did a post on Mockingbird, um, which is a website run by Dave Zoll out of, of Charlottesville. Um, and so several years passed, and then... Last year I heard that, or, or I guess this year, they're putting together a book based on a lot of their posts about movies. And so they asked me to update that post um, for an essay for the book. So I did that and then thought that a class could be done along with it. But this is the book. It's called Mockingbird at the Movies. And I think it's got 45 essays in it um, about different movies. And there's some that I've you know, seen a bunch of times. There's some that I've never seen. Um, I think there's one in here from Matt Snyder about Groundhog Day that I'm interested to, to read that. Um, but I don't think it's in the bookstore yet because it just came out, but you can get it on Amazon or on the Mockingbird website. So I would recommend that. Um, but so getting to the movie, last week we discussed, it was kind of the Good Friday part. We discuss George Bailey's, um, his life, um, his failings, and what brought him to the, the edge of suicide on the bridge before Clarence intervened. So today it's mo- hopefully going to be more of um, an Easter class um, as we, we talk about what happened after that and, and why. Um, but we also need to get back into, we'll, we'll talk briefly about where George was to get there. And if you, if you remember, George was a, on the surface, he was a, you know, a, a good citizen, a good upstanding citizen. He, was, he ran a local business. Um, he led the town during World War II and <clears throat> took care of the night watch and things like that. He took care of his uncle, his mother. Um, he was a good father. If you look in the, the scene when he comes back and he explodes at his family, well, his children are really happy to see him, and that would ordinarily be how they would react when he would come home. But in the inside, he's a mess. Um, and, you know, I know that's all how we all feel sometimes, is that we've got, you know, every we might look, to, like, together on the outside, but really um, things we're concerned about aren't, aren't clear um, to those who just pass us on the, the street from day to day. But he had his life planned out. Um, he thought he knew what it was going to happen today, next day, and the next year. He was going to build bridges a mile long, build buildings 100 stories high. 
um, but instead through twists and turns and and obligation that he feels to his father's ideals with the Bailey and Bisley building and loan, which he calls the cheap penny ante building and loan. Um, and his, his desire not to let Henry Potter win. Um, he gets bound to the building and loan. So he still longs to, to escape Bedford Falls and escape how he'd grown up um, counting pennies with his father. But, but at the same time, he's, he's stuck. And then it, after you see it, the movie comes to a place where he has his first child. And then, um, as we, we looked at this part last week, but years go by, he has like three more children. And he's just um, kind of trudging through life. It says that night after night, he came back home late from the office. Um, Potter was bearing down hard. So it goes over 10 minutes, I mean, uh, 10 years of his life and about three minutes on the screen. Um, <clears throat> so he's kind of just trudging along, doing what he needs to do to get by, spending a lot of effort to hold everything together. Um, but then something happens. Um, and that kind of turmoil that's built in on his inside about, you know, what he wanted to do versus what he's not doing. And it, when something, when a, when a catastrophe happens or turmoil begins, a lot of times that brings that, that tension to the surface. Um, so when Uncle Billy misplaces and Potter steals the $8,000, which is, is over $100,000 in dollars today, um, that all comes out. What, what he'd been suppressing um, explodes and for everyone to see. And this is, <clears throat> this is what he says to his family. I think we watched this part last week. He says, gosh, it's this old house. I don't know why we don't all have pneumonia. This drafty old barn might as well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? And then Mary says, George, what's wrong? Wrong? Everything's wrong. You call this a happy family? Why do we have to have all these kids? So, <laughs> so that, that there, I think there's there's some truth to what he's saying that, of what he's been thinking. That's not what he thinks on a day-to-day -day <laughs> basis, but part of him does. So he he's got a great family, he's got a great life, but he's not seeing it that way. Um, he, then he goes to the bar and he, he prays for the first time. And he hasn't done, you know, there's, there's been, he, he hasn't prayed at all. There's been no mention of God. There's been no mention of church or anything like that. Um, but he says he's at the end of the rope and he needs to be shown the way. Um, and, you know, what's apt about this movie is he's at the end of the rope and that's where God meets him. Um, and... You know, it, it, it's, I've, I've heard it said, um, God's office is at the end of the rope. So when he's exhausted everything that he can do and nothing can be done, that, that's when God can work because he stopped trying to control the situation. Um, so where, where he couldn't act, God could. Um, I mean, if you think about it, when you're... If, if you'd asked him earlier, well, you know, what do you need to do to be close to God? I bet he would say, well, you need to do these good acts and you need to go to church and you need to pray and Bible study and, and, and everything like that. And that's true. 
but what really brings them close to God is not by trying to dress everything up, it's by everything falling apart. Um, and he's been thrown out of a bar drunk on Christmas Eve. He crashes his car into a tree. He's got a warrant out for his arrest. Um, but that's where God meets him and sends Clarence to rescue him on his crucial night. <clears throat> so from Romans 5, verses 6 to 8, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, so while George was a complete mess um, on the bridge contemplating suicide, um, despite his ungodliness, despite him being a, uh, a complete mess, God sends Clarence and it ends in a rescue. But it doesn't go straight there. As we talked about last week, and we're going to get into Pottersville in a minute, but he, d he doesn't just go and... and Clarence doesn't come down and say, well, George, shape it up. Um, you know, what are you doing? You need to be a better steward of your money. Now, how can you let Uncle Billy have $8,000? Um, he's clearly a, a bumbling fool. Um, you'd have to be crazy to let him take your money around. Um, he doesn't say, well, George, you need to pray harder. You, you know, if you'd really been closer to God the whole time, this wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened. Um, but, you know, he, get, he takes him to this, Alternative, alternative reality universe um, of, of kind of a when he to see Pottersville and, and to let him experience through and and have the, the the realization and the reality come to him himself, not through telling him what the situation is, but by experiencing it. Um, in the in Second Samuel, um, you may remember after. David sees Bathsheba um, and sends Bathsheba's husband Uriah the Hittite to w the front of the war where he'll surely be killed so that he can have Bathsheba. Um, and then the prophet Nathan comes to him and instead of telling him, what are you, I mean, you're, you're the king, you're, you're close to God, what are you doing, why did you do this? He tells him a story about someone that does that and then David realizes the reality of what he's done. So by not by meeting it directly um, and addressing George's issue directly, but by telling a story, by doing it indirectly, um, Clarence is able to get across to him the reality of his circumstances. <clears throat> and I think what he sees there, and I mentioned this some last week, is... Not necessarily, well, everybody would be worse off if he wasn't there, but just the fragility of, of all everything and how he, he'd been wanting to go off and, and build bridges and, and leave Bedford Falls and to escape um, his whole life. Um, and that was his plan. But if he, So if he'd been left to what he wanted to do um, and had been able to go out and fulfill what he wanted to do, well, Pottersville would have come about. Um, and so he, he realizes, that, you know, he had missed that, that he was in better hands by, by not 
trying to do what he felt was in the best interest. And at that point, he's able to come to <clears throat> take his hands off the steering wheel. And he comes back to the bridge and says, help me. I don't care what happens to me. Help me. Um, and then he, and when he realizes he's back, he says, I want to live again. When he realizes he's back, he's back alive again, he just wants to go and find Mary. So he realizes that what, <clears throat> you know, sees what's important and sees that what he really was longing for was to be loved. And he had that. Um, and, and so I think that's why he runs to her straight away. Um, so clearly George did not like Pottersville. Um, he had a bad experience. Um, he would not be someone that you would put on the tourism bureau or, or right up the town of Pottersville. And we're going to see in a minute. But so the articles I was talking about, um, I was surprised that some take a different view of Pottersville. <clears throat> this is from a New York Times article by Wendell Jameson. And it says, Gary Kamaya, in a funny story on Salon.com in 2001, rightly pointed out how much fun Pottersville appears to be and how awful and dull Bedford Falls is. He even noticed that the only entertainment in the real town glimpsed on the marquee of the movie theater after George emerges from the alternative universe is the Bells of St. Mary's. Now that's scary. I'll do Mr. Kamaya one better, though. Not only is Pottersville cooler and more fun than Bedford Falls, it also would have a much, much stronger future. Think about it. In one scene, George helps bring manufacturing to Bedford Falls. But since the area of It's a Wonderful Life, manufacturing in upstate New York has suffered terribly. <laughs> On the other hand, Pottersville, with its nightclubs and gambling halls, would almost certainly be in much better financial shape today. It might well be thriving. Um, so, <clears throat> I guess in looking at the movie and seeing Pottersville and Bedford Falls, he would rather live in Pottersville. Um, so, show of hands, who's for Pottersville? <laughs> Not many hands, okay. <laughs> Good. Um, it, it does look like the more happening place. It does, I mean, there are people in the streets, there are people going to the different um, places of um, uh, entertainment. Um, and so it may look more promising from an economic perspective, but if you look at the people and the characters in the movie, it's not more promising. The Uncle Billy, who was George's partner at the building and loan, he ends up in an insane asylum. Uh, Ma Bailey, George's mother, is running, a, is, is angry and, and yells at George when he comes to the door and is, is running an inn. Um, Martini, the barkeeper, loses his business. Mary, George's wife, turns into an old maid. Um, and, and then who we're going to look at in particular are Bert and Ernie. Um, not the Sesame Street characters, but George's best friends. Um, so this is early in the movie. This is George on his way to travel before going to college, which doesn't happen. Oh, 
Okay, you, you see Ernie and Bert, you see the joy, you see um, they're, they're happy in what they're doing. Just another one. This is after George and Mary are married. Let me back away. Okay, um, so that's them in Bedford Falls, um, and you know, they seem happy at peace with their stations in life, but in contrast, we'll go to Bert first. This is Bert in Pottersville, and Bert is a cop, I don't remember if I said that. So I know everyone but Martin probably knew who Bert was. <laughs> That's Mary. This was more than I intended to show, but... I mean, look at that. The media would have a field day with that. I mean, he's just, <laughs> he's just a, I mean, a gun-wielding maniac firing into the crowd with no abandonment. Yeah, but it's Bond. <laughs> he's not a very good shot. Maybe he is in other movies. <laughs> um, okay, Ernie. This is this will show you Pottersville. At <coughs>
Okay. Um, so any any observations of Ernie in that clip? Well, his stare. He he's just. I mean, he he's completely. Um, he looks hopeless. I mean, he's got has a hopeless stare, just driving forward. Um, he's lost his wife, lost his kids. Um, he he sees no hope. Um, so in this, so what what's happened here is that Potter's um, view of every man for himself, and and Potter particularly, has prevailed. Um, so as we'll see in a se second. Um, <laughs> You know, if you aren't credit worthy, if you, you can't go to the building and loan, you're not going to get, you know, you'll end up in Potter's slums. Um, everything's designed solely for profit and what, what can bring, come in and make the, um, the more money for Potter, not for the mutual benefit of, of the people. Um, so one of the other articles, um, which is a little bit more observant than the uh, New York Times one, but this is Rich Cohen on Salon.com says, I don't think he's seeing the world that would exist had he never been born. I think he's seeing the world as it does exist in his time and also in our own. George had been living in Pottersville all along. He just didn't know it because he was seeing the world through his eyes, not as it was, but as he was, honest and fair. But on that night journey, George is nothing and nobody. When the angel took him out of his life, he took him out of his consciousness, out from behind his eyes. It was only then that he saw America. Bedford Falls was the fantasy. Pottersville is where we live. If you don't believe me, examine the dystopia of the Capra movie, the nighttime world of neon bars and drunks and showgirl floozies. Does Bedford Falls feel more like the place you live or does Pottersville? I live in a place that looks very much like Bedford Falls, but after 10 minutes in line at the bank or in the locker room where the squirts are changing for hockey, I know I'm in Pottersville. <clears throat> um, so, I mean, I, I think there's a point there is that, you know, sometimes um, the world can look a lot more like Pottersville than it does Bedford Falls, um, particularly when Potter's worldview prevails. Um, and... <clears throat> So, um, you know, ultimately, with that worldview and in Pottersville, you know, we're all destined to fail. Um, none of us can succeed if we're living up to that high bar of having to defeat Potter, who took everything in the town. Who, the only thing he didn't have in Bedford Falls was a building and loan, but he gets that um, if if George isn't there. Um, or if we did, but if we were like Potter, then we'd be proud and we'd be looking down upon the others who were not like us. George would have jumped off the ledge had he been in Pottersville because Clarence wouldn't have been there to, to accept him. Um, so there, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and eat and drink for tomorrow we die um, and, and if Pottersville prevails that's ultimately the condition that we're all in um, so what's the difference what makes Bedford Falls different than Pottersville how did it come about um, how did how did that happen for George how does it happen for us um, this scene that we're going to next is just after Peter Bailey died 
um, Potter wants to, he uses the word, chloroform the building in loan. And they're at a board meeting deciding what's going to happen with the building in loan. Um, so that's the difference is that <clears throat> what Peter um, Bailey did with the building and loan Ernie Bishop can't get a loan at the bank he couldn't get a loan anywhere but he goes to the building and loan he's not credit worthy he, his credit score isn't good enough but Peter Bailey treats him as being credit worthy um, it imputes to him the credit score that he needs to get alone. Um, so imputation is um, when you apply qualities to someone they don't have. Um, like Ernie Bishop, we're not credit worthy. Um, but despite that we're sinners, through Christ's death, we are counted as righteous, just as like he was counted um, worthy of a loan. Um, from Romans 4.22, that, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So in some ways, Peter Bailey was a Christ figure. Um, he, you know, he did everything he could for the people, he showed them grace when they were sinners, when they were um, inadequate, and um, built them up through loving them despite their inadequacies. And it killed him. He couldn't. No man can take along take that responsibility. Um, so he, ultimately, he died. Um, but Christ isn't inadequate like P Peter Bailey, um, and that leaves. <clears throat> So the townspeople of Bedford Falls, um, they know they don't measure up. 
but the love that they've shown by Peter Bailey and the Building and Loan Institution has allowed them to love. They're freed to live and to work into their vocations and wherever God has called them um, by the grace of the building and loan. So you have Bert, the, the, the cop, Ernie, the taxi driver, um, and they can live in, in a Christian, communi Christian community where they're, everyone's out living their lives for, for the benefit of each other. Um, they're freed from the law of Potter's worldview just through the grace of the building and loan. Um, it, you know, it seems it's the best movie depiction, and some, if you have some other thoughts, let me know, of a Christian community I can think of. Um, but it all comes from the building and loan, as our community all comes from the grace that was shown through, through Christ's death on the cross for taking um, what we deserved upon himself um, so that we could live. In Acts, um, after Peter's sermon on Pentecost, it describes what the apostles were doing um, and what, what the early Christians were doing. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being, those who were being saved. <clears throat> but it's not coming through God telling them this is what you need to do, or the apostles saying go out and do this. It's coming because they realize that although they put Jesus to death, that, <clears throat> that he saved them. And the same is true for George. He's inadequate. Um, and God meets, he's in a place of need. And he's saved through God's action. And the people of the town, you know, upon knowing what his need is, they spontaneously rush. And as we're going to see in a minute, they gather up more money than he could possibly imagine. So when Clarence comes, he asks for $800. He says, you don't have $8,000, do you? But what's, what he gets in return is more dwarfs that, just like just as we did. Um, and that's done by the grace that they've been given through the building and loan. That allows them to love in return. Um, I read in, in, in one of the earlier versions of It's a Wonderful Life, um, instead of this scene at the end, it had George coming back and reciting the Lord's Prayer. Um, so it, it's clear that Capra had, um, this was a Christian message he had in mind um, when, when he made the film. Um, I think, though, it was an inspired revision that he did, because I, this is the death and resurrection scene from, from George Bailey, from being on the bridge to what happens, is this powerful death and resurrection scene in all of film. Um, but it's made possible only because God rescues us, even though we were sinners. <clears throat> and I, I think I mean, it ends after the scene, but you know everything's not perfect after this. You know we we're still George is still a sinner, um, and it's all the people in the town are, are, are still sinners. It's not in Bedford Falls is not a perfect place, or where we live is not a perfect place. But George's faith has begun working in him, and his head has been turned by by Clarence's intervention. 
So, any thoughts or comments before we show the last scene? I don't think you, you could do a class of Instant Wonderful Life without showing it, so we'll just watch it in its entirety. Anyone have any disagreements with any of that? I'm, I recognize that I'm probably reading a lot more into the, the movie than was intended. There's also uh, that, that scene in there where they, um, there's a run on the building alone and mm-hmm. convinces everybody that, that you can't give them all their money because their money's really working in everybody else's loans. Yes. It's kind of the same idea of community. On any of these uh, other articles that you can look at, talk at all about the, the sort of partial similarities between this screenplay and, say, Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol, and particularly the, the ghost of Christmas yet to come and all that. They don't. Um, it's a similar device in a lot of ways. Uh, right, yeah. yeah. It's Christmas. Sure, I mean, I think that's clearly what they they came from. But I, they, they don't mention that. I mean, it's, they're coming from a non-Christian perspective. One of them... Um, which I think is the best article, which was the one by Cohen and Salon.com. Um, he, I mean, he's written some books, and I can't say what they are, but um, on Jewish, not theology, but just kind of life is... I mean, he mentions that he's talking about George after this happens, and he describes it as similar to Jacob wrestling with the angel and where he would be. And But he looks... He can't see the... It would seem to me that he's the way he describes it is he's, he's confused that he suffered this horrible thing and um, that he he can't really get over it. So it it, it seems to completely lack the the um, the, the Christian hope um, that you would see, and and that's why it looks as such a grim film is because if if you look at it if you don't see that what Clarence does is possible. Um, then it, it is. I mean, it, it's kind of fantasy at the end of a, a, a despairing picture of reality. That's a great quote. Okay, let's see if I got. We already saw that, huh? Oops. It's almost there. Thank you. 
saw your car pile into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you'd say your mouth clean. Are you sure you're all right?
tables and eat cash. My office instructed to advance you up to $25,000. Yee-haw and Merry Christmas, Sam Wainwright. Okay, um, and just when he tears up the arrest warrant, technically, you know, he's still, the money has been misplaced, so he, it's not something that they could still go after him. He's still guilty for losing the money, but despite his guiltiness, the, 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 <clears throat> the bank, the arrest warrant's torn up and he, he's made free. So, any thoughts, comments before we go? Yes. I don't know. I don't believe the part about um, gets his wings every time a bell rings. But <laughs> What's the bucket on the mother? That's uh, um, book of, it, Tom Sawyer, which Clarence was reading. Um, he says that Mark Twain's written a new book, um, Huckleberry Friend. But so he get he inscribes it. Okay, well, thanks. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas.